Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Anna Staver, and this is Ohio Politics Explained, a podcast where you give us 15 minutes and we give you all the news you need to sound smart and impress your friends when you go out this weekend. Welcome back to another episode of Ohio Politics Explained, the What Does Cannabis Have to Do With Your Poop edition. This week, we're explaining why universal vouchers don't provide universal access, how the first week of voting in the August special election went, whether legal protections for black hairstyles has a chance of becoming law, and what Larry Householder said in his appeal. Joining me in studio this week is reporter extraordinaire Jesse Ballmer. Thanks for having me. And thanks for not laughing at the opening. I was almost there. Like, I, I held it back. And before we get into it, I just want to take a quick second and ask you to consider leaving us a review on Apple iTunes or wherever you listen to Ope. It helps us share what we do with more people, and I'd super appreciate it. So our first topic is school vouchers. Starting in October, every school-aged child in the state will be eligible for a voucher they can use to pay for private school. But that doesn't mean every Ohio student can take advantage. Large swaths of rural and Appalachian Ohio have no private schools, no charter schools. School choice in those areas is, as Representative Jay Edwards put it to me, putting your kid in a different public high school because of the coach or the sports team. Yeah, I think this is something that we knew was potentially coming with the expansion of the voucher program. A lot of uh, particularly your like parochial schools are focused in the cities. And as uh, Representative Edwards points out, there's just less school choice in certain places. But you you did the reporting on this. What are some proposed solutions we're looking at? Yeah, so uh, I've been talking to Senate President Matt Huffman about this for a couple months now, kind of since the universal voucher proposals were really getting seriously considered. And he talks about capacity, which is the ability of private schools to have the seats for children. And that's also capacity at existing schools and the capacity to build new schools or new branches of existing schools in new places. And so it's very nascent. He's just starting to think about this, but he's talking about maybe some sort of grant or funding or process by which he would help private schools build capacity so that there could be school choice in more places. Now, that's incredibly controversial. It's it's probably as controversial as Universal Voucher was. Yeah, and he spoke to some Democratic representatives about this, and Representative Isaacson was saying, you know, the answer is not running away from our problems, it's addressing them, saying that, you know, you should be working to help underfunded or struggling public schools rather than just kind of outsourcing these students to other locations. So I'm sure that will be part of the fight going forward. Yeah. And even Jay Edwards, who I spoke to, he's an Appalachian Republican, had some concerns about that particular kind of issue. And so did John Cross. Um, He's from Kenton, Ohio. And he's like, I would send my kids to Catholic school. I am Catholic, but the closest Catholic school is 45 minutes away. That's not practical for our family. And, you know, he said right now, you know, public schools are like the center of some small towns, right? Like Friday night football, that's a place to be. They're like huge in community engagement. And 
What he wants to see is a real focus on those schools, expanding, you know, French classes, computer classes, like college at like AP courses. He wants those schools to get better first. So it's interesting to see like Democrats and rural Republicans being on the same page about a particular issue. Yeah, and even with this pretty, you know, substantive voucher expansion, we're still going to be having these kind of fights between public, private, parochial, oh, for and, sure, and et cetera, schools. So uh, it's not going away anytime soon. Nope. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our second topic is the upcoming special election on August 8th. Early voting started this week, and it looked like a decent chunk of people, at least in like Franklin County, turned out for the first day. Now, I don't think turnout will get anywhere close to a presidential election, but it was, it was good to see a little bit of a line, right? Especially when we're wondering if it's going to be single-digit turnout. Correct. I mean, it's, it's always good to see people turning around and having their voices heard on a particularly an issue of this kind of statewide importance and deciding whether the state constitution is going to be amended by a simple majority or 60%. And there's some other changes, obviously, in issue one. So in Franklin County, they had requested, people had requested about more than 10,000 absentee kind of vote at home ballots. And so we'll see the most recent kind of statewide August election was August 2020 when we were looking at the House and Senate races. 2022. 2022. Yes. <laughs> because we were looking at all the House and Senate races because of all of our redistricting problems. And so turnout there, there was about 8%. That seems pretty abysmal. Hopefully it's less abysmal. Yeah. I think it's going to be so hard to predict because there's nothing else on the ballot. It is just, do you want to make it harder for citizens of Ohio to amend the state constitution? Yes or no? That's the only thing that's going to bring you to the polls on this. There's not like some other election. But yeah. And also, I want to touch on a little bit of our kerfuffle, I guess you could say, uh, that arose around Secretary of State Frank LaRose this week over whether certain forms for requesting those absentee ballots, those vote by mail requests were valid. So um, this all kind of started with uh, another news outlet who published an absentee ballot request form in a format that was never okayed by the Secretary of State. Now, LaRose's office has said previously that thanks to the new voter law, you can only use the one official application to get that absentee ballot. But his office said this week that you can use outdated application forms as long as you follow the new identification rules. Now, some people slammed this as like a flip-flop or that he was just doing this because that outlet had an op-ed in support of issue one. Now, I want to be clear, it's like he didn't change the law. Frank Rose cannot change law. He is a secretary of state that belongs to the legislature. But I think a lot of this, this pushback was actually tied up in the fact that he's probably running for U.S. Senate. Yeah, we just have kind of layers and layers of uh, people who are upset about a variety of things right now, you know, certainly understandably in certain circumstances. So you have issue one, which is already like a very contentious issue. You have Frank LaRose, who has been really at the forefront of issue one and then is also 
very likely to run for Senate against Democrat uh, Sherrod Brown, the incumbent. So there's a lot tied up in that. But I think kind of the takeaway thing is if you want to vote from home, you can request an absentee ballot. It would be better if you use the state's form. If you use an outdated form, that will still work from the state. Alternatively, you can just vote in person, which is what I always do. But remember to bring your voter ID. Our third topic is Larry Householder. The imprisoned former Speaker of the Ohio House is appealing his conviction. Householder was sentenced to 20 years in federal prison for his role in a multi-million dollar bribery scheme. Wednesday's filing didn't outline the legal arguments Larry's attorneys plan to make to the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. So, Jesse, what, if anything, do we know? Yeah, I think it was pretty obvious even from the first weeks of this trial, which ended up lasting seven weeks in Cincinnati, that Larry Householder was planning on appealing. One of his attorneys from the very beginning was accusing the judge, Judge Timothy Black, of being biased or somehow holding like a several decades old grudge against Larry Householder. I don't think that'll be like the central point of any sort of appeal. Another issue that came up was these recordings that were used quite frequently in the trial, which from uh, former lobbyist Neil Clark, who um, has since died. And so there wasn't an opportunity to kind of cross-examine him. Also, the recordings were taken from a separate FBI investigation, not really tied to this one. Obviously, um, the audio was relevant to this particular case. And there's just going to be some um, legal disputes about what was allowed to be said in court, what was not allowed to be said in court, whether they were able to say, you know, this is politics as usual, or like make comparisons to other dark money groups used by other politicians to try to perhaps educate the jurors about what is typical in politics. Yeah. And I should also note that Matt Borges, the other man who was convicted, he got five years in federal prison, is also appealing his conviction. Correct. So we'll, we'll kind of wait to see. His arguments might be slightly different. He, the entire time, has said, you know, I was not a public official. The person that he gave money to, Tyler Furman, who was working on kind of the anti bailout campaign. He was not a public official. And so there's going to be kind of some legal arguments about the underlying charge underneath this racketeering conspiracy conviction. And and so we will be following that throughout and see what happens. And appeals can take years. The judicial process can move notoriously slow. So it's very likely that both Borges and Householder will serve at least part of their sentence during the time that they're appealing their convictions. They haven't gone to federal prison yet, correct? They're still in like Butler County Jail. Yeah. So the federal government has kind of partnerships with local jails um, as it's determined where they will ultimately go. And there's just a number of factors that go into where uh, these two individuals will end up and they might end up at different locations. I think that's maybe even likely. Our fourth and final topic is your hair, specifically the hairstyles worn by women of color. State Representative Juanita Brent says she and other black women have long been discriminated against for the way they style their hair. Um, You know, Brent said, quote, I've had jobs where they told me you need to straighten your hair. And it was so normal to hear that. I didn't even find that it was wrong because it was so systemic. So she reintroduced something called the Crown Act. Now, that's something you've probably heard at the national level. You've heard in other states. But the basic idea is that it would ban discrimination against certain hairstyles in employment, housing, education, credit practices. And it would give individuals who have been discriminated against the right to sue. 
Yes. And so I think uh, Representative Brent has introduced this a number of times previously. And one of the things that is different this time around is Representative Jamie Callender, who is a Republican, has signed on and perhaps that garners a little bit more support. Uh, there have been some objections raised by the Ohio Chamber of Commerce previously to prior versions, but you are seeing this move forward in a number of different states. Yeah. So, I mean, this could be the year. We don't really know. But getting support from Republicans is a big deal because Republicans control the House. They control the Senate. They control the governorship. Like things don't become law without them here in Ohio. So having that support will at least possibly get her some hearings where she hasn't previously. Yeah. And another thing I found interesting about Lily Carey's reporting on this was they did a survey where it said one in five black women said that they had been sent home um, because of their hairstyle, which I, which is wild. Yeah. And one more thing before you go. IBS, or irritable bowel syndrome, is now an approved condition for medical marijuana in Ohio. The state medical board approved it for treatment with cannabis on Wednesday. Now, I had no idea, but according to Lily Carey, again, our intern extraordinaire's reporting, studies show that medical marijuana can help alleviate some of the effects of IBS by reducing inflammation in the stomach and lowering sensitivity, which I thought was like, that's really cool. I had no idea. Yeah, it's it's so fascinating. And Ohio's medical marijuana program kind of goes along as we're possibly looking at a ballot initiative on recreational marijuana. So we shall see. Yeah. And I did want to note that two other conditions came up during that Wednesday meeting, autism and obsessive compulsive disorder, and they nixed petitions for both of those. Ohio Politics Explained is brought to you by the USA Today Network Ohio Bureau. You can find us on Twitter at Ohio Explained. And if you want to learn more about any of the topics we covered, check us out online at any of the newspapers in our network, like MarianStar.com. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.